I wanted to share something briefly with you, and I'm going to put a little clause at the start saying it could just be me. <laughs> but I feel to share it because it could be actually the season that we're living in, and I just want to share it to see if others feel that too. And at the start of the service, I was just, I found it really interesting that yesterday was the start of a new era. So we've been in this season where the queen died to yesterday where it was a season of waiting, of pausing. It wasn't quite the new era, but it wasn't quite the old era. And I felt like the Lord just spoke to me and said, spiritually now, it's a new era. And actually, what I feel like he's saying is maybe some of us, and I definitely, have been on that pause. I haven't quite known, but on a pause, just kind of, okay, I can't quite see ahead. I can't quite see the horizon. I can't see what's next. And I felt the Lord say, it's because we were in that in-between. We were in that kind of gray zone. But I feel like the Lord's saying, right now, it's a new era, and almost to lift our gaze, all of us, and to see the horizon of what's ahead now. And it's interesting, this morning, um, James is going to talk on the call of Levi. And I just wonder whether the Lord today just wants to call us afresh and give us that new horizon. What is he calling us into? So I just want to offer that to you this morning. Just sit with the Lord on it and just say, call me again, call me afresh, and show me what that new horizon looks like. What's this new era? And it's so encouraging as well in the passage, because all Jesus says to Levi is, follow me. So again, it's a, we don't need to strive, we don't need to worry. Let's just lift our gaze and simply follow Jesus. I'll just offer that to you this morning. Um, could we have our reading, please? Our reading today is from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. And after this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet to him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. The Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Thank you so much, Pam. Thank you so much. Um, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Um, get your Bibles open if you have them, and we're going to be walking through that. But let me just, by way of introduction, just before I pray, uh, just want to make you aware of a few resources. Uh, one of the things that was just feeling like God wants to stir up at the moment is the normal ministry of Jesus, which is supernatural. When Jesus was around, we're all looking at the screen now, uh, when Jesus was around, <laughs> when Jesus was around, um, the natural laws of how the world should work bent to his lordship. And so 
food was multiplied, bodies were restored, minds were set free, uh, hope rose where it wasn't, broken hearts were bound up. Uh, it's just everything came alive supernaturally when Jesus was around. And we're just stirring that up in this season as we go through these particular passages of Luke's gospel. So some resources to help us. Uh, you might want to have a look at a couple of books. And these are really old. You could probably get them for a couple of pounds off Amazon. Um, both by John Wimber, uh, who basically was the founding leader of the Vineyard Movement. Uh, these are awesome books, and they give solid kingdom teaching. And I just want to recommend them to you. Whatever's out at the moment, sometimes you've got to go back to go forwards. And please go back to this guy. Uh, and power healing and power evangelism. And I've included power evangelism because this is not just for church stuff. It's not just for being, you know, practicing funny things when we're at church together. This is joining in with Jesus' mission in the world. Uh, this is to go out. So um, they're awesome books. Do get them. Do read them. Uh, I've read them over the spring and just on fire for it again. So, so that's that. Then on Saturday the 10th of June... Uh, Patrick and Philly asked Lou and I to um, do some healing training. We decided to lump in prayer ministry and healing uh, training. So we're uh, leading a teaching and equipping day on Saturday the 10th of June. Um, let me tell you how much this is going to cost you. This is free. Come on. This is free. You don't even have to pay for it. I mean, we accept donations, but this is free. Uh, but basically, we just want to really inspire and equip everybody. Uh, I don't know if you're a novice, if you're an expert. Who here is a total expert uh, just in Jesus' ministry? Come on. You know, where are you? Yeah, awesome. So let's all come as learners. And also, we've been going at this stuff for a while. Let's just allow the Lord to just break off this appointment, all that stuff, and just go for it. So that's Saturday the 10th of June. And then I'm really excited to let you know that, do you want to come to the cinema with me? Do you want to? <laughs> um, there's, there's been a release of a film called The Jesus Revolution. And The Jesus Revolution is the story of a move of God in the late 1960s, early 1970s. Uh, basically, it started amongst hippies and touched all sorts of people. And basically, as a result of this, they reckon over 2 million people got born again. And they made a movie about this. And the reason we're going to go and watch it, if you're up for it, is just to see how God is touching people's lives who start far from God and bringing them in. And I'll, I'll talk a bit about, you know, a couple of things I feel that God is doing in the new season in just a moment. Um, but um, anyway, they're not screening this movie in Sussex. But Andrew Brilliant White has secured a private screening at the Dome Cinema in Worthing. And we are the only place in Sussex showing this. And we've got 500 seats available. So we're basically saying you'll get an email when you get home from church. Book in quickly if you'd like to, but do invite a friend. Do invite a family member, but in a week or two's time, we're going to push this out to friends of ours in other churches. So get, get in quickly, and it's only going to be a fiver uh, to secure a ticket for that. So I think we've got the trailer of that. Um. Hey, Square. I am not a Square. I think we should invite Greg this weekend. What's this weekend? These people are hippies, rebels against old-fashioned authority. I 
think these kids need help. What they need is a bath. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. Maybe that's why your church is so empty. When God walks in here, brings me a hippie. I'll ask him what it's all about, because I do not understand. His house has a very good vibe. There is an entire generation searching. Slow down, man, slow down. Just in all the wrong places. If you want to reach my people, you need to speak to them in a language they understand. If I bring them in, I'm going to lose my job. We can only walk through doors open to us. And your church, that's a door that's shut. Probably noticed we have some guests here today. I'd like you to meet my new friends. Welcome. They don't belong here. Half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet. They need our help. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. That was awesome. Now that door is open any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well then that door works both ways. All right, Pastor, let's begin. I was almost done with this. But then you did what nobody else would even dare. This thing that we found, I feel like I belong. You're gonna need a bigger church. Our country is a dark and divided place, but now there's hope. And it's spreading. This is your home, and I want you to tell all your friends about it. Is that what we need right now? <laughs> I'm not sure it's just back then that the country is a divided and dark place, and we've got a generation far from the Lord. So, yeah, we just want to get excited again. So, you up for it? You want to come to the cinema with me? <laughs> right, let's pray. Uh, you'll get an email about all the details about that when you get home. And big thanks to Andrew and the team for organizing that for us. Father, as we turn to your word now, I just want to ask Holy Spirit that you increase the temperature in this room. We thank you that you're here. It's glorious that you're here. We're, we're overwhelmed that you're here. And we just invite you now, come. Just magnify Jesus amongst us, we pray. Come in power this morning. I'm not, I'm not sure I've got the handle on this completely, but um, when the Queen died, um, I was just seeking the Lord, saying, you know, what's, what's going on? Like, what's coming next for us? And I, I really resonate with what Lou's saying about this being a new season. I know this sounds really obvious, but just clear as a bell, I just felt like I heard from the Lord. The era we're coming into is of the king and his kingdom. And then I just saw billions of angels almost just waiting to be released. And we think about the kingdom a lot, but I personally feel we are coming into the new season. We're going to come into the, the times where the kingdom of God stuff is going to be just more real, more fruitful, more powerful than ever. And there's an intensifying of both breakthrough and fruit and glory as at the same time with the backdrop to not focus on too much of pressure and opposition. And I think this is the era of the king and his kingdom to be exalted in our country and to turn the tide. Now, with that in mind, there's a couple of odd things that I wanted to say 
for probably about 40 years, the Lord has been restoring the healing ministry back to the church. John Wimber, whose books I signposted, was really a forerunner, pioneer of this. Um, and putting this into our context over the last 10 years, we've put a lot of emphasis on uh, that the kingdom stuff isn't a vain hope. It isn't for when we die. We're all called, as we lay our lives down, to become like Jesus and do what Jesus did and the things that, that were around him. And what's interesting to me that we haven't seen yet the unleashing of the church person by person preaching the gospel in our daily lives with signs and wonders following to cause a rippling organic wildfire revival here in Sussex yet have we so we've been learning some stuff in the church and that's important to transform our mindsets but I wonder why it doesn't translate often beyond the walls of the church and this passage has something to say about that. Secondly, there's another really interesting Yeah, does that make sense to everybody? That's the sort of questions I'm sort of asking myself at the moment. There's another interesting thing and I've completely forgotten it now. <laughs> so maybe it's not important for this morning. Um so let's dive into the passage, and I think it's got some stuff to say um, for us this morning. Oh, no, here, here it is. Here's the thing. Right through the Old Testament, the people of God were in desperate need of God, and he would break in. They'd have a season of uh, journeying with God, and then after a bit, they'd sort of get a bit high and mighty. They'd forget their need of God. They'd uh, move into their own strength. God would withdraw and let them reap the consequences of their actions. In the New Testament, we don't see that so much, partly because the backdrop of the New Testament is hardcore persecution. It costs them stuff to follow Jesus. Many of them had their possessions confiscated. If not, it led to imprisonment or even being thrown into the gladiators' arena. But when you look at the church, when it became something socially acceptable then it seems really odd to me that this phenomenon happens that Jesus Christ came into the world to save people who are far from him and lost but then people sort of after a bit take it for their own stuff and begin to rely on themselves and even move into moral superiority God withdraws, we reap our own consequences, and then we need him to sort us out again and remind us of his extravagant grace. Now, for us as a church, we've been talking quite a bit recently, and Luke's gospel is brilliant for this because it's always against the backdrop of opposition. But for us as a church, we've been saying to follow Jesus, it's going to be getting a bit harder in the days that we're living in and in the cultural values that society is lifting up. It's going to be getting harder. And there's going to be a choice to be made about whether you follow Jesus or whether you follow the ways of the world. And in that backdrop, the massive, massive danger for Christian movements down the ages and for us 
is that as we withdraw from some of the cultural values, we have to step forward towards people. And what would stop us from doing that is a sense in which as we begin to uh, decouple from the cultural values of society is to then suddenly start moving into a place of judgment and moral superiority. And this passage, again, has everything to teach us about this. So let's dive right in. So they're the things on my heart this morning um, as we read this incredible story of Jesus calling Levi. Verse 27, after this, we forget after the paralyzed man, they don't say, okay, church is over. Let's go home. Let's roast a chicken. You know, job done. We've got a paralyzed guy walking today. No, it's just like this flow of life with Jesus. And this follows straight on the heels of the paralyzed man. It's an amazing just flow of what's going on with Jesus. After this, straight afterwards, he went out of the house, is where it is, and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, who's Levi? We kind of know he's Matthew, because the same story happens to Matthew, and the same story happens to son of Alphaeus in Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel. This is Matthew. Now, Jesus speaks to him, but what we don't have is the preamble the chosen gives us. We don't see Matthew getting warmed up, enticed, fascinated, all of that. He, he finds a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. He doesn't say, I've got some great news. Your life's going to be really improved, and this guy Jesus, he comes to bring fullness of life, you know, and all of that, and... He's going to improve everything in a much better way than the life that you're living, which you're quite happy in, by the way. Um, you know, none of that. He just says, follow me. And that's what Jesus says to all of us. And, and Levi's response is that he got up. Now, it's interestingly, I just want to point at the intricacy of the gospel briefly for no other reason than to say the same word, he got up, is the same way that when... Um, the, um, the paralyzed man stands up. It's the same word being used. And guess what? It's the word used when Jesus was resurrected. Anastasis. It's the word for resurrection. So Levi literally is resurrected. Life comes when he rises up, he stands up, gets up, and he left everything and followed him. And the challenge for us as Western comfortable Christians, if I can say that, is that we don't always leave everything. And there's a mix in our lives of societal values and old stuff and James's culture and James's background and da 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 and, and to be spiritually intelligent is to invite the Holy Spirit. This is what we do all the time. Lord, show me where is, where am I reacting or I'm thinking or I'm feeling or I'm making decisions based on how I was raised as a child on my formative years versus the priorities of the kingdom of God and your voice, Lord. And when we follow with everything, that's when we can be, step into becoming an authentic expression of Jesus. Then Levi gave a great banquet for Jesus in his house. He's so pumped, he gives, throws a massive party for him, for Jesus. And this is a big deal. Who, in those days, who you invite to your house and who you share the table with is a massive deal. It shows who you give honor to. And so Levi's basically saying, 
I've come across like a royal figure. I've come across a really important person. And that's the sort of person who gets banquets thrown for them in that particular culture. And there was a large, large crowd of tax collectors and others, notice that word others, sitting at the table with them. Levi invites all his mates, all the tax collectors and these so-called others, and they're all sitting at the table with Jesus and Levi. Now, verse 30, here's the moment where if we were in a pantomime, we'd have a sort of boo and a hiss. The Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples. Now, we might give a boo and a hiss at this stage, but let me tell you that the Pharisees and the scribes were probably justified in their complaint. Because I think we know enough to know that tax collectors are bad news, but we don't probably always remember how much they were just absolutely anathema to the people of God. Tax collectors were working for the occupying forces who were defiling their land. Tax collectors had sold out everything and totally compromised themselves spiritually to work for Rome. Tax collectors, it's widely known, were the source of widespread corruption in that day. The Romans basically said, collect all these taxes, and the tax collectors would swindle, extort, and you know, lead the corruption in, that, in their communities. It would be like, uh, uh, sorry, not only that, but because they were working with and for the Romans, they would be seen as unclean, polluted, unholy, for the people of God, who that was a massive deal for, according to their law. It would be like, I was trying to think about this, it would be like in some of the Russian con conquered territories of Ukraine, that the Russians appointed Ukrainians who still live there to heavily tax and extort their own people to send funds to Moscow and to Putin. And Jesus is basically finding one of those guys, Ukrainians, who've sold out to the invading armies and is extorting his own people. Jesus invites one of them onto his team and then is seen enjoying fellowship with them. That's how sort of shocking and shameful it would have been for these guys. So the Pharisees and scribes rightly complain not to Jesus, of course. Just remember, murmurers and complainants and gossips rarely go to the person. <laughs> they always go to others, and, and so they go to Jesus' disciples. They don't go to Jesus. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? And look, we find out who the others are in the eyes of the Pharisees and sinners. Now, we don't know if there was a bunch of hooligans and prostitutes and all of that, but we do know that in the eyes of the religious people, there was, this party was full of sinners. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answers with a parable. Now, we're going to bump into a few parables in the coming weeks and months. And the problem with a parable is a parable doesn't always teach you right and wrong or what is true and false. Because a parable presses you up against the wall and makes you decide who you are or who God is. So remember when they're complaining again about the company Jesus keeps and Jesus tells the story of uh, the two sons 
the one who goes and squanders the inheritance and the one who does, you know, goody two-shoes, stays at home. Uh, and, and the moral of the, of the parable is that both sons are lost. One thinks wild living and, um, you know, is going to lead to fulfillment of the heart. And the other thinks hard work and being a good boy is going to lead to fulfillment of the heart. Both are lost. Now, Jesus doesn't then apply it. Jesus presses them up against the wall with that parable and says, okay, so who are you? Are you the lost son or are you the goody two-shoes son? You decide. And where's the heart of God in all of that? And Jesus does the same thing again. They're gossiping to his disciples and Jesus tells this parable. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he gives an insight into his mission. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the parable's here. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So if you're reading this now, you should find Jesus, maybe lovingly, but pressing you up against the wall and saying, so who are you? Are you well or are you sick? Are you righteous or are you a sinner? And as I read that, it makes me think of how incredible Jesus is that he stepped into my life and steps into my life. And it makes me think, I'm just so lost without him. And never, ever let me stray into thinking of myself as having no need of you, Jesus, and of thinking of myself as righteous. I love how Paul writes in 1 Timothy. He says, who wants to know something good from church today? Ready? 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. Bear in mind, this is the guy who evangelized most of the Mediterranean world and wrote the soaring letters of the New Testament. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That's how he saw himself. He didn't see himself as, I've got inheritance, I'm seated in heavenly places, da 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 Ephesians quotes spilling off his tongue. He says, no, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And for that very reason, I received mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who had come to believe in him for eternal life. What Jesus is pressing, and he's pressing it to us, is the existence in our hearts of self-righteousness. Are you righteous or are you a sinner? Are you well or are you sick? Now some of the fruits of self-righteousness are some of the stuff that keep the church in the church and block our ministry or when it begins to go well, undermine it. It's that same reaction the people of God had when he'd, he'd kicked the enemies out of Israel, established them in the land in the Old Testament, and then five minutes later they think they're awesome and they take their eyes off God. It's the self-righteousness. And some of the fruits of that are pride. 
just thinking they're awesome. Superiority, thinking they're better than everybody else. Judging others. You know, this is why Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't pray on the street corner like the Pharisees. So they're sort of, they're praying, but they're like looking around like, yep, is everybody seeing me? I'm going to pray louder and louder and louder. Jesus, go in a room. Uh, now, I'm sure the Pharisees, when they're on the street corner looking around, they're going, oh, aren't I, mate? And aren't you terrible that you're not like me? Leads to being comfortable. We miss Jesus' mission. Not to the righteous, to the sinners. Not to the, not to the well, but to the sick. We miss it, and it's this self-righteousness that sort of comes bubbling up. And uh, I just wanted to sort of touch on this, that you know, probably none of us here may go round. well, this is the secret places of the hearts, the glances, the looks, and all of this. And even as we uncouple ourselves from societal values, we are, I tell you what, we are not going to allow the enemy to trip us up by judging anybody or thinking of ourselves better than the rest. Because if it wasn't for Jesus, I would be dead in a ditch. And if it isn't for Jesus every day, I'd be making a total mess of my life. And so would we. And even when we make earthly prowess in our lives, and you think, well, actually, let's be honest, I'm quite good at this, I'm quite good at that, I'm quite good. We make no progress in the kingdom. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. And abiding with Jesus is having the tenderest, softest heart to be thankful for his grace shown to you and to I. Now, some of the things that can confuse us are, number one, in our culture, our schools have been telling us for ages that we're all winners and we're all amazing. And, um, you know, the bad news is not everyone can win. Otherwise, you don't have a winner. It's like only one person at a time can be prime minister. Only one person can score the goal if they're the striker. You know, it's like, it's a value which is kind of a false way of trying to talk about the grace of God by saying, you're just amazing, you're worth it, you're incredible and all that. Now, what we're not saying is, you're bad, you're miserable, we hate you. No, but what we're saying is, we are lost without God. But God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to save us properly from ourselves by making a proper payment for our sin, by making a proper reconciliation with God that requires our hearts by faith to say, I've got nowhere else to go. But you, Lord, are the one who I just want to give everything to. And when we step into that, he can begin to work and transform our lives into the people he's always made us to be. So in our culture, we just have to be aware that when you remove God from the equation, what you remove is any moral standard. So therefore, without any moral standard, we create a moral vacuum. So therefore, we have to relativize everything so there's no standard, so no one can fail, and everyone's a winner. But then it's meaningless because actually what we do is we relegate the righteous ways of God and try and sort of falsify them. And actually, the gospel is not, you're amazing. The gospel is, God is amazing, and he loves you as you are in your mess. So much 
that he would be brutally tortured and nailed to a cross that you can be properly restored and healed into the person you made him to be as you rely on him. Does this make sense? So that's going on in our culture, but it's going on in the church as well. Now, because the church has often beaten people up, and please hear me, that's not what I'm doing this morning, that in recent years, even in the church, we've taught that we're not sinners, we're saints. And people have said, right, if you read the New Testament letters, Paul is writing to the saints in Corinth, or the saints in Galatia, or the saints at Philippi, and all of that. But what does Paul do next? Paul, having told them, after writing to the saints in Corinth, Paul then, always in his letters, spends the rest of the first chapter talking about the glorious work of Jesus Christ that God has set in motion for the world. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he's giving us a living hope. He, he launches straight away, having called them saints, into pointing to the magnificent work of Jesus. So what he's saying is, you have been made a saint by the incredible work of God in Jesus Christ. And so it's not having a bad Christian self-esteem, but it's saying, I am holy, but only because of him. I'm holy because God loves us so much that he's done something that fulfilled the law and has fulfilled everything that I threw away and has done it to restore my life because he loves us and because he did it all in Jesus. But how that sort of partners with our culture is we go, well, we're all saints. And, and suddenly, before you know it, pride is just unleashed in the church. Rather than saying, I'm not doing myself down, but what I'm doing is I'm lifting Jesus up constantly. I am a sinner, and somehow God has made me a saint because of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to spend the rest of my days saying, worship him, love him. He's the Lord. He can do anything. He, and if he can restore my life, he can do that in anybody's life. And that is what undercuts a self-righteousness. And that keeps me saying, I know he came for sinners because he came for me. And now I'm going to join in his mission, which is towards the broken, the hurting. And if ever I step into puffing my chest out and all of that, then I know I can just feel it. The Holy Spirit just lifts off. And God's grace lifts off. And it all just gets harder. And he lets us reap the consequences for our own self-reliance until we finally come back to him and say, I am lost without you, Lord. I'm lost without you. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And I know you're not far behind me. <laughs> and so that's our message. That's our message. And someone might say, you know, and the challenge with the church is as he comes into our lives, he sanctifies us. He heals us up. And so, you know, some of our behavioral patterns change. But when our behavioral patterns change, we don't go, Oh, we're doing really well. We're really good. We've got some awesome friendships now. Oh, look at my circle of, you know, uh, brilliant da-da-da-da-da. And suddenly we saw, before we know it, no one says, aren't we amazing? But before we know it, we reinforce that in one another. Rather than saying, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful, Lord, at the friends you've given me, at the work of transformation in my life, at the healing you've done in my life. It's all about you. It's all about you. As we sung it before, uh, 
as we sung it a moment ago, all things come from you. We didn't sing that. <laughs> I don't know, it's worthy as you all. That's why I love that song. We don't even enter the equation. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You're worthy of it all. Like, we're tiny in God's plan. We're really tiny. But he's really big, and that's our message. And when we focus on what Jesus has done in our lives, and we never lose that, then that's what stops us saying, we don't need a physician anymore. I need a physician every day. I don't know about you. And when I get complacent, oh, that's where I start to fast and I pray. And I like, Lord, remind me of the cross. Remind me how much you did. Remind me of where I'd be. If, da, 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 to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. He came into the world. And when we slip into that stuff, what happens is we begin just to look after our own, enjoy our lovely community, all of that stuff. And we miss the heart of Jesus' mission, which is out there. It's breaking through. It's looking actively for the most broken, the most hurting, the most horrible, the loneliest. He's looking for them. Now, what, what I want to do is just uh, almost apply this to the supernatural. Who here is an expert in the supernatural? Okay, can I tell you the best way of growing is by trying it outside the church. Because what happens is, is we think to ourselves, or, or, or no, what happens is the enemy gets us, oh, what signs and wonders follow the gospel, all right? So things like healing or hearing God, they're not actually to beef us up and make us feel really activated and powerful. They're not about self-fulfillment. They're about joining in with the mission of Jesus to our lost and hurting world. It's finding the Levites. It's finding the Ukrainians who've thrown away their loyalties and given it to the Russians and saying, even you, because it was even me, are the person that Jesus laid his life down to save and to reconcile and to restore. And when we join in with that, we're being obedient to the mission of God. We, we catch his heart. Just at the nine o'clock this morning, the Lord was breaking an elderly chap's heart for the world. That's what's coming, I'm telling you. That's what's coming. And as we decouple from societal values, we are running towards the world. I'm telling you. One of the things I love on the Jesus Revolution, uh, they were just baptizing in the sea. Just hundreds and hundreds of people who are far from God. I was just reading it, just getting smashed by just like God's heart for just the young adults and the teenagers who are growing up just far from God. Not to judge them, but I'm just like, oh my goodness, how can life work without you, Lord? How can life work? Wouldn't you love to see Shoreham and Lansing and Worthing just filled with baptisms of young people and young adults? Wouldn't you love to see the Ada filled with people just getting transformed by the gospel? Not by changing it to fit in, that's, what, that's not what people want. They don't expect the same from God. They expect something transcendent and different from God. And, and don't you long for that? You know, and yeah, yeah. So anyway. <laughs> Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The great physician has come not to save the well. Do we, we know enough, don't we? Uh, when, when we began to pray for the sick... Not a lot happened and a lot of ridicule and scorn were turned on us by trainee church leaders. 
But out of obedience, we did it. John Wimber used to teach, David Pitches used to teach Bruce Collins, used to teach me. He was like, if you want breakthrough in the supernatural, just do it. Just pray for 100 people and you will see God working in your life. There's not a guarantee that everything will be sorted. There's not a guarantee. Jesus didn't come to eradicate every source of uh, evil, every source of demons, every... That will be finished at the end of the age. But we go in obedience, we proclaim Jesus is amongst us and we stretch out our hand and we let him work. And at the nine this morning, I said, when we hold on to self-righteousness or we miss the mission of Jesus, we're making the river of God into a pond. And ponds go stagnant. (laughs) It builds a wall around the pond. And unless the pond has a a water flow, it's going to become yucky and gunky and green. We had fish for our son as as his first pet. And we went on holiday and we thought we'd ask somebody to do it. And anyway, it was murky and green in two weeks. (laughs) And the fish died. I don't want fish to die. (laughs) When the river flows, it has to be unleashed through us. And that's where we have to go. So I'd love to challenge you this week to stretch out a hand, to share the Lord Jesus, to get alongside people who don't know him this week. Should we do it? Is everyone all right? Have I talked too quickly? Right. Amen. Right. We don't want to stay in church, do we? I know we're busy. I know in this day and age that work is costly, that we can spend a lot of time exhausted. Let's just ask the Lord for strength. Let's ask the Lord for strength. Everyone will interact with an Amazon delivery guy at some point. Most of you work with people who aren't fully Christian, like the whole workforce. Just ask the Holy Spirit. What I loved is um, a week ago... uh, a couple of families went out for the day. They're telling me. And the two mums uh, saw someone. They were all thinking about the supernatural after church. They were excited. So they went and shared Jesus. And the person basically thought they were completely insane and walked off. But I love that because it was obedience. And I never got everything right the first time. But the more that happens, the more God has a platform to jump in on and to work through us, and to use us like Jesus, to be the physicians to those who are not well. Basically, counting ourselves so blessed to be wrapped up in in the mission of Jesus in the world today. Is that all right? Let's stand together.